Hello everyone and welcome back to Radio Silence. As always, I'm Shaheer. Today I'm going to be talking about the Crusades. The Crusades were a very extraordinary event in my opinion. Imagine people from thousands of miles away coming together in pursuit of an ideological goal. And this was before we had technologies and before we had phones and the internet and televisions to relay information. So in that regard, I, I do think it was a very impressive feat. And that is the reason that the Crusades continue to be discussed and debated to this day. Uh, the tales of heroics, pain, chivalry and religion, they have moved out of the halls of academia and into our living rooms, into our theatres and on our television sets as, as people continue to marvel at this extraordinary event in history. And for that reason, the Crusades benefit themselves in many interesting mediums to weave a very rich tapestry of stories and narratives in modern popular culture. And that is what I'm trying to do with this, with this series of episodes. I'm trying to analyze the impact of the Crusades on modern popular culture. And I think the best place to begin is one of the most popular television series in recent history, Game of Thrones. Now the writer of Game of Thrones, George R. R. Martin, said in a television interview, I live in today's times, but it's inevitable that they're going to have some influence on me. But during the process of writing these, by which he means the series uh, a, Song of Ice and Sa- on a Song of Ice and Fire, on which the Game of Thrones series is based, I probably would have been much more immersed in the politics of the Middle Ages and the Crusades and the War of the Roses and the Hundred Years' War. So the Crusades were a direct influence for uh, Game of Thrones and the, the books on which they were based. And obviously the Game, of, uh, the Game of Thrones television series is fictional, but it highlights some very basic human ambitions and sentiments like hubris, entitlement, and royal privilege. And so that is when the Crusades and the stories that we get from the Crusades become very important. So one idea that is prevalent in both uh, the Game of Thrones television series and in the Crusades was the notion of chivalry. The Crusades were an age of chivalry and the Muslim leader Salahuddin, westernized as Saladin, was a chief propagator of, of chivalry. Chivalry simply means that, yes, we have to fight on opposite sides, but that does not mean that we have to despise each other. We can still respect each other as human beings and we can still treat each other fairly. So there was no underhand play involved, there was no massacres involved, there was no cruelty or oppression of the others camp involved, it was based on the ideas of fair, fair play and honour. And one instance when we saw this was in the year uh, 1192, when Richard fighting Saladin lost his horse. And when Saladin heard of this, he sent him two replacement horses as a personal gift. In another instance, in the year 1991 and 1992, in between the two years, Richard was suffering from fever. And uh, his knights were still recovering from a previous battle at the, at the location of Arsur. And the mutual respect between Richard and between Saladin was so strong that Richard appealed to Saladin to uh, send to him fresh water and fresh fruit. And Saladin obliged him and he sent him these, uh, these materials for him to regain his health. Now that is chivalry. And we see chivalry in Game of Thrones as well, the chief propagator of honor is none other than Eddard Stark, right? Ned Stark, who, um, uh, and uh, I'm sorry, 
to spoil this for you but he dies at the beginning of the first season one would think that he stick around to the very end that he was the most stable character of of them all but that is sort of the charm of game of thrones which is that the show must keep on going and so Ned Stark he promotes his virtue he promotes his honor as his redeeming characteristic in one instance when his sister Lyanna Stark urged him to take care of Jon Snow and look after him it was in order to honor his sister's dying wish that he took Jon in and treated him as his own son in spite of the fact that such an act might have caused him disrespect in his own in the eyes of some people and especially his his wife Catelyn Stark So in another instance this is probably the very first scene in the Game of Thrones series a disaster arrives at um at Winterfell and Ned Stark has to carry out his duties the punishment for deserting from the wall is 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 death by by execution and so he does not enjoy it you can see it that he it is not something that he takes a lot of pleasure in but he does carry out the sentence so for Ned Stark honor is the most important thing irrespective of his personal sentiments and the sentiments of others and so in this regard you can see similarities between Eddard Stark and and Saladin um and in that in that sense you can see that Eddard Stark and Saladin Richard the Lionheart these were all men who were trying to make sense in a world in which honor had all but disappeared right so in game of thrones all the greats had died by this point in time john arryn of the vale was dead right rhaegar targaryen was dead robert baratheon was dead all the great warriors were gone the leadership was the leadership was lacking and so it was when it was then that these men stepped up and came to the fore and took charge and tried to reestablish order and they also believed in sacrificing for a higher good in that sense if you look at varys varys supported daenerys at his own peril and when he felt that daenerys was not in the best interest of the seven kingdoms that daenerys had become unstable then irrespective of his personal loyalty he moved on and he tried to install jon snow as the king of the seven kingdoms so this idea of people with a higher loyalty and people who believed in values is something that you can see existing very prominently in the crusades and must definitely have influenced the game of thrones series so another very important uh, aspect of the game of thrones series is how a weakened and diminished group of people comes together in order to take control of the seven kingdoms i'm talking about daenerys targaryen daenerys is um born in Easteros so essentially she's like the crusaders who are in Europe but they claim they have a birthright to 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 the middle east and to the holy land especially the land of um, Jerusalem and and the Levant and that is very similar to Daenerys because she claims and she understands that it is it is her birthright as a Targaryen to rule Westeros and that is the reason that she leaves Easteros and she gathers together an army and it's a very disheveled army so it has some Dothraki riders and it has some mercenary second sons and then it has the unsullied corp joining them so freed slaves and these groups they come together in order to give Daenerys her own people to 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 help her in claiming her birthright and these are very similar ideas between the crusades and between Daenerys's journey because here you can see the idea of a person or a group feeling that they have they have been uh, done an injustice to and them taking military action in order to correct that injustice 
Another extremely important element between the Game of Thrones series and the Crusades is the depiction of religion. So, religion is a very rich element in the Game of Thrones series. You have old gods, right, gods of the forest, and then you have the new gods, the faith of the seven. And this is a monotheistic uh, religious order with God having essentially seven faces. And this is opposed to the old gods of the forest. So um, very much like probably the new religion coming into coming into the Middle East in, 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 in the face of the Crusaders, in the, in the dressage of the Crusaders. And then the old gods represent sort of Islam and the old established order that had been around for some time. And so you can also see that there is a certain duality associated in Game of Thrones with religion. So the High Sparrow, he comes to power by having support from Cersei Lannister. And the duality of people who promoted his rise also becomes very evident. So you, over here you can see that essentially power and money stemmed from religion in both the cases of, the, uh, of Game of Thrones and in the Crusades. So for example, some orders of, uh, of Christians in the Holy Lands, for example, the Knights Templars, they became very wealthy. They became very wealthy because they got lots of donations from back in Europe and they taxed the local populations, the local Muslim populations as well. And then pillaging was also a way of life for them. So they became very wealthy. And the Knights Templars are still around and they have become the stuff of legends, often being associated with, with the Illuminati. So in that sense, we can see that there's a comparison to be drawn between the Crusades and between uh, a Game of Thrones as well. Because in Game of Thrones, you can also see that Cersei Lannister, she tries to control religion. She points a sort of high sparrow to take charge of religion. And so in order to sort of use religion against the new queen who is uh, Marjorie Tyrell and to sort of um, reduce her strength. So using religion in order to achieve one's ends is something we see both in the Crusades as well as in Game of Thrones. Cults are also a very interesting phenomena in both the Crusades and Game of Thrones. So you have Melisander. She's a very prominent character who is associated with Stannis Baratheon and she's known as the Red Priestess and her god Rolor is the, is, is the fire god, he's the sun god. And this big, a very famous line that she says again and again, it's sort of the chant of this cult of Rol, which is, the night is dark and full of terrors. You must have heard it here or there. But this is very similar to the vast cults that arose in Jerusalem and in the Holy Lands around the various orders of Christians that established themselves. So I mentioned the Knights Templar. So these were small sects of Christianity that operated in the Holy Land during the years of the Crusades. And they were not very different from cults in the essence that they, they had their own procedures, they had their own practices, they had their own hierarchies and own loyalties. And so cults were a thing back in the Crusades um, and in Game of Thrones as well. The many-faced god is a, another uh, cult of uh, a god who is dedicated to assassination and as most of us would know Arya is a member of this cult and so she becomes proficient in proficient in assassinating people who would you know go contrary to the interests of Winterfell and her uh, and her own interests and assassins were also very common during the crusades the order of assassins was a legitimized and a very uh, a very well known order and they would carry out assassinations and deaths of people 
in circumstances that befitted them and i will talk more about assassins when in my next follow up episode i talk about the assassins creed video game which was based in the time period of the crusades the original game was based in the time period of the crusades so these are two very different interpretations game of thrones is very different from the crusades back then but you can see how the elements of the crusade have sort of filtered into modern popular culture ideas like chivalry ideas like being associated with cults and uh, ideas about what role religion should have in society these are ideas that were very important uh, during the time for the crusades and have now sort of filtered into our modern popular culture and are de- depicted in various forms such as the game of thrones series so that there you have it that is the game of thrones series the second uh, idea of the second item of interest that i'd like to talk about today is kingdom of heaven so kingdom of heaven is a 2005 movie and it is produced and directed by the very acclaimed ridley scott and so the narrative of this movie follows balian who is played by orlando bloom uh, orlando bloom is a christian blacksmith in this in this um, movie and in order to uh, cleanse his dead wife his wife commits suicide and uh, he is still struggling with demons from this very dark chapter in his life but in order to uh, cleanses his wife of her sin of suicide which condemns one to hell in christianity he takes up arms and joins the crusaders to fight in the holy land this was a big endeavor kingdom of heaven cost nearly 130 million dollars to make um it is set in the time period before the third crusade so the third crusade is when saladin successfully recaptures jerusalem from the crusaders and it it's a very interesting take in the sense that it's very modern it, it's it has a very postmodern feel to religion and so there's almost an otherization of the crusades uh, lots of scholars today would claim that religion was the main reason that the crusades were carried out and it was religion that motivated even uh, first hand leaders even uh, kings such as richard the lionheart to take up arms and join troops to come to the holy land and leave their kingdoms behind but in the kingdom of heaven you see something very different when you see a very modern uh, understanding of religion it is a, a take that humanizes the people and humanizes their motivations and treats everyone like rational actors so in that sense you have people like baldwin the 4th who is the leper king of uh, jerusalem he's a historical figure but he is portrayed as an individual who is welcoming of all faiths as a very benevolent king and he tells balian the blacksmith that all are welcome in jerusalem whether they be muslims or whether they be they be jews and so when balian first comes to jerusalem you see that some crusaders are being hanged for attacking a muslim caravan and that's also very interesting because you see that there's an individualization of crimes committed as a result of the crusade so instead of the entire christian body taking responsibility for the violence committed responsibility is sort of associated to the various organizations and sects that are operating within jerusalem so in this in this movie it is busy the knights templar and individuals individuals like reynald of chatelon and guy de luzine who are essentially shown as being the oppressors and being shown as evil men and organizations who are trying to who are trying to cause war and conflict between two very stable and very rational camps that of the christians 
and uh, the Muslims led by Saladin of course. And there's a lot of emphasis on showing Jerusalem under the Crusaders as being a very normal place. So you see people going about their personal lives, people selling goods in the market, there's enterprise going on, there's literary, literary events that are being organized and being carried out. So essentially it is portrayed as being a very normal place to live in. And you also see that individualization takes place in the sense that there's also emphasis put on the struggles of individuals in spite of the great power play. So mostly when we talk about the Crusades, we talk about the battles, the number of people killed, number of people injured, the amount of booty caught. But you see that in Kingdom of Heaven, it tries to humanize the people. And in one instance, for example, Sibylla, who is the, who is the sister of King Baldwin, she is extremely agitated and extremely concerned that her son has started to show symptoms of leprosy. And so that is the prime thing that is on her mind. The battle between Christians and the Muslims take a bad seat compared to her son's health. And he meets a very sad end when Sibylla has to pour poison into his ear because a natural death would have condemned her son to hell. Because according to beliefs in Christianity at that point in time, if you were a leper and you died naturally, you were condemned to hell. So this sense of individualization which is something that is associated with modern Western society, is something that is sort of a central idea that permeates through Kingdom of Heaven. And it is worth questioning whether this sense of individualization really did exist. Because, like I said earlier, it was the religion that was the prime motivator for people to take up the Crusades and to, and to take up arms against the Muslims and to travel all the way to the Holy Land and claim Jerusalem for, for Christianity. There are relevant efforts um, made for peace as well. This is also very important. So in the modern day, we think of the Crusades as an extended two century, three century time period of war interspersed with periods of peace. But this movie tells us a very different story. It tells us that this is a time period of peace and then there are small time periods of wars and skirmishes, but then they're again replaced by periods of peace and norma normalcy. So we see this when, in the instance when, uh, you know, there's established peace, Baldwin IV is on the throne, and then there's a huge battle at Kirak, which is caused by the actions of uh, Reynald de Chatelon. But then Sibylla, his sister, again renews the truce with Saladin, and they again reopen borders and they re-establish trade with him. So essentially the idea is that this is largely a time period of peace with small time periods of war interspersed in between. And towards the end we also see Muslim benevolence. So towards the end when it becomes evident that Christians cannot hold on to Jerusalem, Balian who our faithful blacksmith who by this time has climbed the rungs and become the leader of the Christians he, he parlays with Saladin and Saladin allows the Christians to peacefully leave Jerusalem. But when Balian asks for guarantees, he asks him, how can you guarantee me that you won't back up on your word? And Saladin says, my name is Salahuddin. And so essentially, it is just a testament. The movie is a testament to the fact that Saladin was a man of great character and integrity and it does not try to do injustice to him. So in that sense, I think the Kingdom of Heaven tells us some very novel ideas and gives a very novel perspective on the Crusades, which is very heavily rooted in our understanding of the world here in the 21st century. It applies principles of the 21st century and it 
sort of interprets them in terms of the time period of the Crusades. So in this sense, you can see that this conversation is not one way. Rather, it is a, a, it is a transitive conversation that's going on between the present and the past and of interpretation and reinterpretation. So that was my take on the depiction of the Crusades in digital uh, popular culture today. And I will follow this episode up soon with my take on the depiction of Crusades in another aspect of modern popular culture. Please take care till then and I will see you soon. Bye-bye.